Hello everyone, my name is Fahed Rahman. I'm here with Poppy Knight. Hello. And on this episode of Audio Bookish, we're going to be talking about True Crime Story by Joseph Knox. And I'll just read the blurb about True Crime Story. What happens to those girls that go missing? What happens to the Zoe Nolans of this world? In the early hours of Saturday, the 17th, 2011, Zoe Nolan, a 19-year-old Manchester University student, walked out of a party taking place in the shared accommodation where she'd been living for three months. She was never seen again. Blending fact and fiction, in his first standalone novel, Joseph Knox delivers a thrilling true crime story like no other. Do you want to uh, introduce Joseph Knox? Mm-hmm. So Joseph Knox was born and raised in and around Stoke and Manchester, where he worked in bars and bookshops before moving to London. He runs, writes and reads compulsively. His debut novel Sirens was a bestseller and has been translated into 18 languages. The Smiling Man and The Sleepwalker are the second and third books in the series. True Crime Story is a standalone novel. Okay, so before we begin, thank you to Penguin mm-hmm. Penguin Random House Audio for supplying us with the advanced review copy to this. So they mm-hmm. sent us kind of a, a list of different books um, that we could review, and this was my choice. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's not what I expected it to be, and it's mm-hmm. really difficult to choose like a jumping off point to start the discussion because... There's a lot in here. So I think a good place to start is just to begin with the format of the book. So do you want to yeah, talk a little bit about that? Yeah. When I looked at the list, um, it was one that I wasn't necessarily super keen on because of that word true and true crime stuff. And I'm not a massive fan of true crime stuff. I don't watch any kind of, you know, true crime documentaries and stuff like that. So I was worried about it because of that but as will become clear certainly later on that true is kind of a a playing kind of true so Zoe Nolan that you mentioned in the description is not an actual person and a lot of the people in this are not actual people but some of them are some of the places are some of the things are so it is portraying itself as true when in fact it is fiction which is really interesting and really fascinating definitely the kind of thing I would like so had I known that initially definitely would have been probably one of my picks as well um so yes thank you for pointing it out and making me look a bit further than (laughs) than the title that seems scary and I'm sure we'll talk a bit more about that later so kind of format wise is incredible because it is done as Joseph Knox puts himself in the novel. It's, it's one of those ones that I think is really cool where the author's kind of in it. But he's telling us that this book is mainly the work of someone else, a woman called Evelyn, who has been investigating the case of Zoe Nolan and has been interviewing as many people as she can, basically, to find out what has happened to it. And the book is structured as the evidence from those recordings. So kind of in physical form, you have them as transcripts and we'll definitely be getting onto that as well. But kind of for us, it almost feels like the real recordings interspliced with emails between her and uh, Joseph Knox. And there is also some indecisions of the publisher and things like that. So it's cobbled together but in a very structured way of cobble it's pulled together to bring the most exciting pieces at the right points um and yeah flips between these different characters and people that have been interviewed yes i think you've given quite a good description of what it is i think another way of looking at it is it's almost like an epistolary novel Mm. kind of like dracula where you're not getting an omnipotent narrator telling you what the story is it's very much Mm -hmm. through the accounts of other people and with that comes whether or not whether those accounts are reliable yeah, and uh, whether you should trust the person who's providing you with that information. Mm-hmm. I read a really interesting review of this online where they said the novel kind of borrows the structure of a podcast. And okay. I think that kind of hits the nail on the head. So I, I'm thinking about actually buying the physical book itself just to see if that's a different experience to what the audiobook mm-hmm. experience is. Because for, for me, this works absolutely perfectly as as Mm -hmm. as an audiobook it's kind of this is the format that the story is meant to be told in i get you sort of Mm -hmm. thing so yeah oh i totally agree i think it is that thing of these recordings of people's spoken voice that then 
we're hearing in audio. So it even has like staticky noise that sounds like these were done on like a handheld recordery thing rather than in a professional audiobook yes, recording exactly. booth. Kind of that yeah. you get that kind of tinny sound and yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. It's so wonderful. And I also think just the fact that you have so many different people and so many different characters. I mean, it's just we can all pretend we're amazing superhumans, but if you're reading that in a book, it's difficult to keep track. It really is. Like one of the advantages of audiobooks, of TV and film, is that it's easier to remember which character's which, who said what, that kind of thing. The fact that you have these individual voices for these different people, I definitely think helps with the way that the book's structured, you know, to keep track of who's who, who said what. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And the other thing is that what adds to that is that the vocal performances are mm-hmm. so good and each of the the voices themselves are really distinctive. Yes. And I think we'll talk a little bit more about the, you know, the, the superb performances in the, yes, in the audio book a little bit later on. But, you know, it's, it's a really interesting format. It's, uh, mm-hmm. it's quite innovative and yeah. I've certainly not read a book like this before where it's really I hate using that phrase postmodern but it is really playing <laughs> around with that your your expectations of uh, yes. what a story like this is supposed to be and how it's supposed to be presented yeah and you know it's kind of it's, there's almost at points where it's commenting on itself mm, as well so it. yeah it's <laughs> really a fascinating listen that kind of gets your your mind turning over as well totally agree yeah that idea of you know so many different perspectives and stuff like that that you don't often get you know even if you get multiple perspectives having this many is quite rare and the interspersed with the emails and the flipping backwards and forwards of time yeah that format is really exciting and experimental and really cool and then all the meta stuff any consistent listeners will know that I love when things get meta (laughs) is brilliant and then also kind of connected with that this playing around of truth what is real what is not is just amazing in that sense I have come across some stuff before that is really cool so there's a book that I studied as part of my degree called His Bloody Project which does the same thing of claiming to be true when actually it's not so much so that there were people in the first seminar where we discussed it who genuinely learnt in that seminar that this wasn't true. So they'd read the whole book. (laughs) And and it's kind of, it's fair enough because it it claims to be, you know, you have the kind of beginning part, the prelude to it that's talking about the author and how he went and researched this book. And it claims to be true but isn't and that is a fantastic book so if anyone listens to this and really loves it then I definitely recommend that you try his bloody projects as well I didn't have it in audio but there is an audio one so yes one of the great things that we looked at in the seminar was about where does the truth begin and end and I think that's really interesting to think about this one as well so we like looked at the physical book and was like okay is it you know is the front cover true and things like it's saying a novel on it the tutor kind of gave away is okay so that is telling you it is fiction you don't really call things novels if they're non-fiction it's something different so that novel is kind of a big standout thing of we can believe this sort of thing potentially she was always questioning and then kind of maybe the back page with stuff like the ISBN number and the price that is true that is written stuff but where in the middle do the lines blur and I find that really interesting with this one as well because we have the this is a novel by Joseph Knox is said at the beginning and the credits of the people performing in it which like we've talked about and I think we'll have to do a, a deep dive into this but the idea that the recordings sound like they're from the actual people well that can't quite sit with what well, you're telling me these actors have done it so we'll definitely talk about that yeah and then it has a publisher's note and it's like okay well is this true is this not because publisher that's that should be real kind of where does it blur in there kind of thing and then at the end you have a rounding up thing of is is this true but then you have like we hope you have enjoyed this penguin audio production and I think maybe okay that's where it ends and it's it's really fascinating thinking of where the truth starts and where the truth ends and yeah which is what I at first looked at with his bloody project and then doing it with this one just fascinating yeah it's it's kind of like you know this is a true story in the same way like the Fargo tv series 
are true stories where kind of, you know, basically each series of Fargo says, this is a true story based on like factual events. Only the names of the characters involved have been changed to protect them in the future. And there's a little bit of that going on in true crime story in terms of it's, it's saying that it's, these are actually based on real events. The other thing, so I'm a big pro wrestling fan and this might be a little bit mm. of a stretch, but pro wrestling always considers itself to be real, even though we know it's mm-hmm. not real. And there's a little bit of that going on with true crime story where kind of it's telling you it's a true story. And that suspension of disbelief that it plays around with, I found was really, it was, it was an amazing thing to kind of even attempt to do yes. in order your book. And I think, really was almost completely successful <laughs> you know, if, yes, if someone I get you. if someone that you know because true crime story a novel to give its full title if yeah. they'd left off the novel bit i would you know i wouldn't be any of the wiser i get you yeah i had to do a google i really had to do a google <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I googled zoe nolan's name as well. yeah, exactly, exactly. um and i'm glad i did because like i say i was kind of put off by it it's a thing that's touched on in the book this idea of kind of how stories like this can kind of be glorified and how it's an invasion of privacy for the people involved when things are in the media or documentaries and things like that is very much a theme in the book it is something that is questioning it's asking about our role within that it's asking about authors roles within that journalists roles within that and stuff like that and it is the kind of thing that this is not in any way me saying I have the moral high ground you're all glorifying terrible things happening that's not what I'm saying it's maybe even less than that is that I like escapism in my books (laughs) and so I don't like to think that this was a real person kind of thing you know yeah I completely agree with that and I think especially with the new wave of true crime uh-huh. podcasts. I'm thinking of my favorite murder, which I'm a massive fan of. I think that kind of not glorifying necessarily serial mm. killers, but I don't think feminist is the right word, but really understanding why people are telling these stories to themselves. And for mm. a lot of women, they're you know, looking at the thing that scares them a lot. Yeah. And I think that's, that's another interesting thing that's explored within the book in terms of why, if the Zoe Nolan case was a real case, why she wasn't a bigger story yeah. than she was. So that's another thing that both Joseph Knox and the Evelyn kind of play around with in terms of, well, why wasn't this a bigger story? And they kind of, you need the perfect victim. And yeah. Zoe wasn't quite that. There was too many shadows and skeletons in her closet there. Definitely. Yeah, it, it, it's so self-aware, this book, kind of knowing the part it's playing, the genre that it's coming into, the tropes of it, the moral questions around it and stuff like that, definitely. And an interesting thing with that about bigger story, there is a massive thing in it about trying to drum up that media coverage, trying to keep her face in the media and stuff like that. And, you know, all the people that are then stopped on the street because people have read about them in the newspaper kind of thing. So it sort of doesn't tell you much about nationally, but it certainly says that within the Manchester area, if you were there during those years, you would know this case. And so obviously that then would add difficulties if this were actually true. You know, the twists, there are some amazing, amazing twists. It's one of the great best things about it. It does twists really well. But yeah, they wouldn't work as well if you'd already read about it in the newspaper. You know, so it's not something that's wishing it were true. It's something that's really playing around with the idea of truth. You just, you reminded me when you were talking about the wrestling things and the Fargo one mainly. Uh, Just a a funny story before we get into the deep darkness of true crime story. It was that I was quite young when we watched The Truman Show. Now, The Truman Show starts with everything you're about to see is true. This has really happened. Okay? Okay. Now, little kid Poppy believes that because no one told her otherwise, okay? Yeah. So I watched the first, I don't know how long, but enough to realize that everyone in his life was actors and it was all a TV show, right? I ran away crying to my bedroom. My mum's like, what what on earth is going on? Uh, Comes in and it takes ages for her to realize why I'm so upset but I was just like, how could anyone do this to a person? That's so horrible. And I had a little existential crisis in my bedroom. <laughs> so yeah. maybe this is why I'm quite so 
I feel like we needed to straight away determine. <laughs> yeah, is guys, this is this actually happened? True doesn't mean true. <laughs> yeah, well, true does so, not yeah. mean true exactly, and I think that's another thing that goes through the novel. Um, mm. So I don't think we've, I think we might have mentioned in passing. This is basically essentially a full cast audio book, oh, and yeah. I would just quite quickly just to mention the actors and performers mm-hmm. did it so joseph knox narrates a lot of the book mm-hmm. we've got sarah parks kiara baxendale david johns chris thompson louis bernard drew dylan shane zaza caitlin griffiths connor mcleod dolly webb grace cooper isla lee levi brown and noah morello and you know all of their performances are really strong and yeah you know we kind of talked about in the his dark materials trilogy of how when you've got the writer doing the narration Mm -hmm. it really helps with the intonation but with joseph knox he's playing a version of joseph knox yeah as he narrates so that's kind of another thing that he has to play around with so that's presenting a version of yourself narrating a book that you've written i think is also adding another layer of Mm -hmm. things that you need to kind of think about as well Oh yeah, it's so messy and it's so juicy and I love it. He is this part of him that isn't a real him, but he's trying to convince people that it is, but he doesn't necessarily really want people to think that. Um, and so it's, it's really, really fascinating. And I also thought, because there's a lot of question within the book about him stealing Evelyn's work yes. by publishing it under his own name. And obviously this is kind of challenging these ideas of, okay, well, yeah, they've published it with Joseph Knox on the front. You know, how does this play into what's true and what isn't? And I thought it was really interesting that the bits like where they introduce whose recording's coming next, that he's the one that does it. Because in theory, those parts were already compiled by Evelyn. And I thought it was a very interesting choice to have him say, and here's Jaima Mood, for example, instead of it being the person who narrates Evelyn's emails. I thought that was a really interesting choice. That is, that's not something I'd actually thought about before. So yes, and there is a bit towards the end of the book where he's giving the acknowledgements mm-hmm. and him trying to say, you know, I've just kind of like put this work together. It's definitely all mm. Evelyn's work, but that directional choice by the people that yeah. put the audio book together is, yeah, that's It challenges that, thing. doesn't it? it? It does challenge that yeah. a little bit as well. So before we get into the plot, I just do want to talk mm. about the vocal performances a little yeah, bit. Too, There's yeah, so yeah. much to talk about here. I've got like some e-notes. So I know you're a big fan of regional accents yes. in audio books. So there's... Uh, plenty of regional accents in there so yeah. um do you want to kind of talk about that a little bit just this idea that you have so much range it's just really nice even if you strip everything else away from it it's really nice to be able to sit down for 14 hours and listen to a loads of a range of different voices i really like it um i can appreciate maybe not everyone <laughs> finds yeah. that so entertaining but i think that's really cool yeah, one thing i did want to mention is that um so Joseph Knox, you know, narrating it, we spoke about how he's grown up around Stoke and Manchester. And I did think he's got a little bit of a Brian Cox about him <laughs> in his <laughs> accent. I feel like you can hear a bit yeah. of that in there. Yeah. The wonders of the universe. Yeah. Yeah. A yeah. little bit of that in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I am notoriously among friends and also work colleagues and uh, family uh, don't like Brian Cox. But this is another kind of harking back to the Truman Show sort of situation. It's because, you know, he's narrating something he's like, and the world will end. And isn't it wonderful? And I'm like, no, it's not wonderful, Brian. <laughs> Stop trying to destroy the world. <laughs> so that's kind of where my hatred of Brian Cox comes from is because he's, he's far too happy about everything coming to an end. But I'm aware that many people love the sound of Brian Cox's voice. So maybe that's something that will entice you to listen to this audio. And Because I can sometimes end up, you know, mimicking accents that I hear a lot. And I was on a, a big binge of a big section of this and then I went down and was talking to my mum and I I felt like I had a bit of Kim's intonation oh, yeah. <laughs> in my voice. Now I am from a similar, you yeah. know, part of the country. But even so I thought that was quite funny. And then yeah, you have Irish accents in there, you have Essex accents in there. It's yeah, range of accents is just fab. Yeah, it's a, I think it's a, a really great range of accents and mm-hmm. the only accent that really didn't work was when they had the French policeman on mm. and all that they, or he struggled. Whoever did the voice of the French policeman, it almost went in into Inspector Clouseau territory. <laughs> They're a little bit. So that's yeah. the only 
weak vocal performance. Mm, it took me out a little bit. Yeah, I couldn't tell if it was, you know, I, I don't know my French accents very well. I couldn't necessarily say that there isn't a French person that speaks like that. But yeah, my initial reaction, like you, was that it was maybe not the strongest French accent. Yes, yeah, so, yeah, definitely. I was just going to say, I think all the performances were fabulous. And I really do think that they were all brilliant. But I just wanted to say, I thought one thing that was really nice about the audio was that I felt the narrator for Jai Mahmood really made himself sound so likable. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Yeah. yeah. And I think more so than... I, th- I think the words that he says do make you sympathise and maybe not even, do make you connect with him, I think. He does come across as a likeable person, but I think more so listening to it than if you read them dry, read them in your own narrating voice, whatever. And there's a lot of things he's coming up against as to why people might have preconceived notions about him, things about drug use and homelessness that you could say in some senses trying to combat bad stereotypes that people might have of him but he just you can't not like him and I think you probably would still find him quite endearing reading it off the page but certainly listening to him he did a really good job of making Jai someone that you really feel for Um, but not in like in a patronizing way you just feel like he's a really genuine guy yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And I, I was going to mention this in my conclusion, but I'll, I'll say it now. It's kind of oh, sorry. <laughs> the vocal performances here really elevate the material to another level. Mm, and I think so. Yeah, you know, Jai's performance is, is one noteworthy one in mm. terms of you kind of want him as your mate. He just sounds Definitely. like a, 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 yeah. Yeah, a nice yeah. guy. And I'm not too sure if I was reading the text off a page, I would have got that same sense off you. of him. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I do think his character's still well-written and the stuff he says, you know, but yeah, I think a lot of it came from that performance, for sure. On the opposite end of that, that Lu Wai is... Oh, I thought, I exactly her perform- the same, mate, exactly <laughs> I hated her. I yeah. hated her so much. I knew, just kind of like that sort of... Um, uh, you know, I'm not, you know, you know, I'm I'm not really a spiritual person or anything like that, and I don't really judge people. And then she'll say something but... absolutely horrific about someone. So yeah, yeah. I, and her her performance. Oh God, I, the thing is, I, I grew up going to school with girls like that, mm-hmm. so I was just kind of yeah. oh oh, just oh, you horrible horrible person. Um, and that's and that's the thing where it's the performer, just like Jai, has done such a good job of portraying that character. But whereas Jai's kind of invokes you know, a really endearing response that, that would invoke a you're not my kind of person kind of response. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely yeah. not. Um, so let's, we haven't really talked about the plot of the characters yet. So mm-hmm. we've got Zoe Nolan. She's a 19-year-old girl. She has a twin called Kimberly Nolan, um, mm-hmm. who I think a lot of the stories about Kimberly's relationship with her sister and her yeah. parents are Robert Nolan and Sally Nolan and their kind of relationships with Lou Wai, who is one of their flatmates, Andrew Flowers, who's essentially the love interest, Finton Murphy and Jai Mahmood, who's Andrew's flatmate throughout mm-hmm. the story. So we've got this this rich cast of characters and without going heavily into spoilers, it's really difficult to kind of talk about the character developments. But one of the interesting things, I think, to maybe start off the discussion of the plot is uh, maybe talking a little bit about Kimberly's relationship with her sister, Zoe. Yeah, definitely. And just quickly before that, yeah, because it ties into those cast of characters. Yeah. What I really liked about this book is that sometimes it feels like the person that we're after, you know, the villain in it, the criminal, is someone that's inside that group. And sometimes it feels like it must be someone outside that group. And now for spoiler reasons, I'm not going to tell you which one it is. Yeah, I think it flicks in the book. At times you think, oh, it's got to be one of them. And at times yeah. you think, nah, nah, it's someone else that we've not heard about yet. And new names do come in. And I think that is a really, really good thing about this book because sometimes crime can be a little bit like, oh, it's this closed group of suspects and it's more like a game than it is like a real life story. And I think that's not a criticism of those ones that are more like a game because a lot of the time we like crime stories because we like solving that puzzle, you know? Whereas with this presenting itself more as a true crime story, I like that it doesn't 
force itself into a really formulaic, well, here are all the possible suspects. Which one do you think it is? It doesn't feel like that, which I think is really cool. Yeah, I just kind of quickly add to that. I think the messiness of real life people and the messiness of the situation is another theme that runs quite clearly all the way Mm -hmm. through the book, kind of the mess that people will leave behind and how you don't necessarily get a clear conclusion to situations mm-hmm. like this as well. So, yeah, I think we were going to talk about... Um, yeah, Kim and Zoe. So their father had some professional music experience and very much wanting to live that through his children and forcing them both to practice a ridiculous amount and a lot of methods that certainly sound really horrible. and. Kimberly certainly positions it as she tried to escape from that and others will position it as she just wasn't as talented. But basically what that ends up with is that Zoe is the musical hope, the musical protégé and perfect in everyone's eyes, especially her dad's and Kimberly is the other one. And that's kind of the main balance of the relationship that goes through that her tension with that her tension of can I not be an individual you know people always linking her with Zoe but then linking her in a lower standing but just the linking anyway was causing her troubles and yeah that messy relationship is what you have there with those two yeah and that's one of the key relationships at the heart of the story so they both go to university together and I think one of the central tensions in their relationship is that Zoe is this, you know, bright, beautiful young thing and people gravitate towards her. And Kimberly's kind of like the, I don't want to say dowdy, but well, the way that it's narrated to us, the way it's told to us, she hasn't got that same light that Zoe has. So Mm -hmm. I think there's one line in the book where if boys had a choice between the two of them, and I do think they're they're near enough identical twins, no, they are yeah, di- yeah, they identical are, yeah. twins, that you know, if, if boys had a choice between the two of them, they'd always choose Zoe rather than Kimberly and that, you know, as someone who's got um, two brothers that are a little bit more successful than me, I kind of, I really understand that idea of kind of like sibling inferiority complex and how that can affect relationship dynamics as well so that was a really interesting thing and that damaged relationship makes people around Kimberly doubt what her role within her sister Zoe's disappearance was as well which was a really and it, you you yourself you know as you're kind of listening to it mm-hmm. thinking was she involved was she not involved is she telling yeah. the truth about this so it's just setting up those little pieces yeah it's like you're saying you can kind of have some sympathy with the position that she's put in there but then obviously you're not condoning any sort of malicious intent coming from that um and it's not knowing if there is any you know she's quite forthright about how she feels and she says that she feels like she has to be because otherwise people are gonna assume things you know she's like okay well if I'm really honest with you about stuff that I don't want to admit stuff like I resented my sister stuff like I felt worthless then believe me when I'm saying that that didn't turn me to doing terrible things. You know, I'll admit this horrible part of me that I'm ashamed of. I'm ashamed of this jealousy, but that is where it stops kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, it's not like Kimberly's entirely innocent. She makes some truly horrifically bad, (laughs) poor, 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 poor choices. But those choices are kind of put into context a little bit. I mean, there's Mm -hmm. one particular thing that, um, you know, that she does that's, happens towards the end of the book which i kind of think is really really it's a, it's a really bad decision that she makes there but it's um i don't want to give too many spoilers but yeah, and that's what keeps the tension up as well is that you know these characters that you once you start to trust them something's mm-hmm. revealed about them that kind of makes you question that trust and the veracity of what they're doing and their motivations and things like that yeah what's really interesting with kim is that we start with her and we start with an accusation that we can't trust her so because the beginning chapter rather than being about zoe and her disappearance is actually about a situation that kim claims to have gone through and you hear a lot of other people telling you that it's not true or you certainly hear some big voices telling you that it's not true and people saying that she is a pathological liar and that she does that because of you know she wants to seek attention yeah yeah Yeah. exactly so you hear a lot of those things before you get to know her and I think it's really interesting because of just the fact that 
the book is so focused on just that theme of truth. You know, there's also a a mention of this pathological liar that was hanged in the past. Um, you know, it brings that in because it's all about truth and lies and stuff like that. So it's really interesting that that's how it starts it. But also this idea of, because it's a crime thing, who can you trust? Who is telling the truth? And, you know, you have to decide later on, are these things with new information coming to light? Are these things likely true? Are they likely not? And a lot of the time the book ends with, well, you still don't know for sure, but you've just got to make your own guess and assumption, which is obviously one of the reasons that we all love reading and books, isn't it? That we come to our own conclusions about stuff. Yeah, definitely. And it must have taken him a really long time to structure the novel in yes. terms of making sure, because it's kind of almost perfectly paced in terms yeah. of when he puts the twists and turns in there, how oh, he's, definitely. I was going to say how he's put the dialogue Mm-hmm. together as well kind of as if there were real interviews that he was uh, splicing together um, yes. but, yeah it's kind of that you know pacing of like the, you know the text yeah the actual key incidents that happen as well I think so, is, so is masterful yeah yeah I think I mean I'm, I made a note that like you really need some serious plotting in here so because when Evelyn starts interviewing people that actually overlaps with the span of the story So you end up catching up, you get to a point where these characters that she's interviewing have already been interviewed by her and they're talking about stuff that has happened since their first interviews and things like that. And the amount of like, I don't know, post-it notes on the wall, Excel spreadsheets, however he writes, you know, that must have gone into working out when people knew what they knew and what people were feeling like in those moments when they were speaking in the other interviews and stuff like that is really cool. We don't have like time stamps of the interviews. Kind of Evelyn explains in an email that she has put them together thematically, you know, and kind of how conversations go. There's a really exciting part later on where it is properly played out like a conversation. So you might think that these kind of transcripts, just one side can be quite limiting in what you're able to do. But we have this kind of simulation of a conversation, even though it's done through recordings, because you have Andrew says, oh, and then I said this, and then it cuts to Jai, and he's like, and then I said this kind of thing, in a lot better way than I'm making it sound. It flows really well. So yeah, those piecings together are awesome. And I think even the email correspondence is placed at really good points and it's nice to have them as kind of a break from the tension but also they add more tension and yeah cliffhangers amazing twists amazing things come at perfect points yeah totally agree <laughs> uh, it's actually kind of interesting we haven't talked a lot about evelyn um mm. she i think she is a really key character she's the mm-hmm. you know person that started this story and she's got quite a i'd, I'd say tragic but she's gone through a lot of pain she's a cancer survivor mm-hmm. she did uh have one successful book published you know but her illness kind of took her out of publishing a little bit and this book is her big attempt at getting back into publishing you know publishing something that she thinks is really important and yeah her relationship with joseph in terms of you know joseph is someone she's looking to for support and mm-hmm. advice while still really staying quite self-reliant. Yeah. And I love her. I didn't know if it's like a romantic relationship or if it's just kind of, she's the sort of person that likes to tease people that I came across you, yeah. a lot in the emails as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, I mean, falling on that point, I took it as a kind of a, a teasy way, but it is definitely something to, think about in the book as what their relationship is and is like and I it makes a comment on the world of publishing you know so it's one of those books that's kind of I am a writer I'm trying to write it talks about that kind of side of it one thing that really stuck out and kind of you brought to my mind then was this idea that she talks about how her publishers told her to write a cancer book because she's yeah. survived this. Mm. And that's, there's a real commentary on that idea of people getting pigeonholed and the way that they want books to be marketed and who's going to tell these stories and how people get defined by one thing, whether it's one book that they've done, whether it's an event in their own life, their own experience, that kind of thing. I mean, I, I think you get it with with all sorts of different people, you know, in different areas of diversity with things like sexuality and stuff like that you know saying you know you should be writing this kind of book so it it does a commentary on that and then also another self-aware way in that Joseph kind of you know 
can be a bit of a dick sometimes yeah. and like yeah. um she's saying uh mate this is my project why are you trying to muscle in on it kind of yeah. thing and he you know he is he's he's written it you know he he's presenting himself although it is not fully true in this kind of way of uh, I'm the more experienced writer. I can help you out. Sort of interesting dynamic that goes on. Yeah, I think the a very interesting thing about the dynamic. So I don't know if you took this from the vocal performance, but Evelyn to me very much sounded like a person of color to my ears. Mm-hmm. And I think there's also maybe a subtle commentary on how you know Joseph Knox is a, a cisgendered white male, mm. and he's managed to publish this, this book. book. Mm. Yeah, and maybe take away credit mm. from a woman of color. I don't know whether that's correct or not, because we don't get any physical descriptions yeah. of Evelyn, but yeah, that's just like to my ears. That's what she kind of sounded like. I totally get it. And that's definitely a, a very interesting thing to pull from it, that it's a commentary on that element specifically. I totally think that that's a fair thing to put on this book. Um, yeah. And it is definitely a, an issue to be commented on and stuff like that. On a slightly yeah. lighter note of that, <laughs> I was kind yeah. of shocked when I heard Evelyn's voice because she has quite a young voice and I'm very sorry to any Evelyn's out there, yeah. but I've always yes. thought of Evelyn is quite an old name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <it laughs> so is, I was like, uh... oh, she's young. Okay. And I mean, that's the thing. If I'd read that on the page, it would have taken me a long time to think of her as young, I think potentially. Yes. Especially with the cancer diagnosis as well, because that's typically something it's an illness that you know predominantly strikes with older people, not you know exclusively, but, no, of course with not. that yeah. as well. So let's talk about that, you know, the cast of characters a little bit more. So we've got Andrew Flowers, who is a, a rather unsympathetic, posh, posh boy, mm. I guess is you know a good description of him. We've got Vinton Murphy, who's Zoe's friend. He's a gay lad that's come to university to kind of like try and live his best life. He's kind of had a very sheltered childhood in Ireland. Uh, we've got Lou Wai, who's basically kind of like an Essex girl, and Jai Mahmood, who's, I think he's kind of grown up in the north of England, because I think he does talk a lot about how, you know, where he was raised, kind of the, the racial attitude that people in his area kind of had towards Asian people, kind of like dating white girls as well. So that's another thing that's brought up as well in, in the book is the grooming scandals and things like that. So it's very good with, in terms of tying all these different strands together so Mm -hmm. um out of that bunch which of those characters did you take to which ones uh kind of got your back up a little bit i think you've already mentioned that you you really kind of liked jai's yeah definitely really took to jai for sure Uh, i think lou yeah like (laughs) i didn't see her as particularly harmful but not my kind of person kind of is the vibes i got there and i think she's kind of the main one that stayed well actually those two are the ones that stayed static throughout whereas a lot of the other ones my opinions of them fluctuated i think yes as we went i kind of felt closer to them i'm further away and you know even posh andrew you know there were times where i I really did connect with him and sympathize with him when certainly at the start I did not but parts in the middle where I did and yeah I think everyone else I sort of fluctuated between liking disliking trusting and distrusting certainly whereas yeah I don't know those two kind of seemed pretty constant what about you yes I basically when I started listening to the audiobook I didn't like any of the characters apart from Jai I felt like uh, <laughs> Andrew I just felt like yeah oh you just you're just a privileged twat that mm-hmm. you know he thinks he's better than everyone enjoys being mean to people Lou Wai just reminded me a lot of girls that I kind of went to school with that I really didn't get on with mm. interesting when she was homeschooled that's yeah. kind of put as a quite a big part in it she's talking about like the competition between Kim and Zoe and how with her not going to school she didn't have the same sort of competition with other kids kind of thing but yeah, yeah I anyway, think sorry. I think that's yeah, it's kind of interesting how that might have affected. And she, I just felt she had a really strange relationship with Zoe as well. Yeah. In terms of, I, yeah. Yeah, I don't know a lot about kind of female friendships, but that's you know, something about that kind of just struck me as a, a little bit um, yeah. single white female, um, if you know what I mean, that famous movie. Finton, I think my feelings with him fluctuated the most because yes, yeah, the vocal performance just gave him an air of... Um, like authority, wasn't it? Yeah, it's like he's yeah. like overly officious. If you know what I mean, it's kind of like a jumped up bureaucrat 
kind okay, of heir yeah. to him. But then he's, you know, he you go from sympathizing with him quite a bit to disliking him quite a lot as well. And then kind of coming back up again. What particularly struck me was his talking about his relationship with his mentally ill mother mm-hmm. and kind of some of the things that he went through there I found quite touching. But mm. yes, it's uh yeah, all the characters I kind of started off disliking, then I kind of wavered <laughs> in between liking and disliking them as well. Mm. Yeah, I think one thing that's interesting there is this idea of are we hearing the real people or are these recreations? So yeah. before I'd kind of properly dug down to this where do I think the truth starts and ends bit, yeah, I'd obviously heard the cast list. And so I was thinking it as a kind of a, okay, well, they're admitting that these are actors. So maybe what we're meant to be thinking is that these are recreations of the recordings, okay? But then with the staticky noise, yeah, and stuff like that, it's definitely meant to seem like it is actually real. These are the actual recordings from there and then okay does the credits messy that up at all or do we say that they're a different part but then there's a point where i don't think this is too spoilery but there is a point where apparently the tapes get wiped yeah and so then that challenges this truth idea in the audio oh yes of course of course it does yeah yeah Yeah. in transcript it's absolutely fine but in audio okay well how does this work so there's a lot of time where i was kind of like who are these? Are these the actual real people? Or are these, you know, like in Crime Recreations, which is actually in the book as well, are these actors playing these people? And where does that line go? And found that really interesting. But then there was a part with... um So there's a really cool bit of this trying to make it true idea where it claims that this book is a second edition of the first book so that it can have things about the response to the publication. Um, and and Fahed mentioned that in the um, synopsis part of it. And in that you have, and here's Jai Mahmood reading his Facebook post from after the thing came out. So then you're like, okay, well, this is definitely meant to be actually Jai's voice. And I, I so that's all fascinating. But then obviously Evelyn, also not really a spoiler because he does say it very early on, yeah. but Evelyn is no longer with us. And these were emails, not recordings. So who's her voice? Is this meant to be an actor's voice? Presumably, because she didn't read out her emails. And I thought that was really interesting and messy. Obviously, it wasn't written for audio, but I sort of feel like we're coming to a point, hopefully, or this is what we're working towards, when like every format that people can read and access stories in, it's meant to feel like this is what it was made for you know that like everyone should get the same experience no matter what or the same level of experience it shouldn't feel like you're getting a version of the actual book if you get me see i slightly disagree with you there i think okay. the beauty of something like this in audio is that it does give you a different version of the story I think different, the ex- yes yeah the experience i had listening to this i think would have been vastly different to actually reading the book yeah and now that's what i mean what i mean is that the audio should stand alone as an amazing audiobook and not like it is the read out loud version of this printed book you know so like how a lot of things feel really tied to that i think the only way it i guess can fail on that is there was a picture attachment in one of the emails yeah obviously we can't we can't see that. Um, but apart from that, yes, I completely agree with you. I think it's been completely elevated. But that's why sort of part of me wants it to be neatened up. I want answers as to are these meant to be the actual people or are they meant to be recreations? Like I want it to feel like you thought about this and made it for the audio. But then equally, I love the messiness. I love the yeah. fact that it's kept me up thinking, okay, well, that person could be actually them and that's not. And maybe they just found the tapes again somewhere yeah. and they weren't wiped. And yeah, getting creative with that in my brain i loved how messy that was yeah i like i kind of like the messiness of it Mm. to be honest with you yeah and there's so much to talk about we've already kind of mentioned how it's kind of a genuinely original mystery we've talked about the sibling rivalry um Mm -hmm. i want to talk about definitely about the music and the sound okay oh yes yes um that's not something i'd made note of but yeah 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 go ahead oh it's so good so the music that um starts off at the very beginning is it's really awesome creepy music is no better way to describe it i think it is very much like a detective tv show intro music which i think is a very good thing it really reminded me of that i could totally see 
you know, TV credits coming in that kind of a way. I also really love how they use it overlapping some of the big twists or cliffhangers. Yes. That really builds the tension, how they weave that in. They've not just done, okay, at the beginning of the audiobook and at the end of the audiobook. It's sort of an end of episode kind of feeling, yeah. but overlapping with those vocals of what the twist there's, is. There's stuff. one particular bit with Jai Mahmood where they do that yeah. really effectively. And oh, it's just like, yeah. ooh! Ooh, I know exactly. <laughs> oh, definitely, it is so so good, and yeah, the atmosphere it makes, brilliant timing that they've used it of, and just the genuine composition, just brilliant. Yeah, it's absolutely magnificent. Yeah, mm-hmm, totally. And then, so sound effects. We've talked about the kind of staticiness, but also with the emails. Okay, you have a little notification sound. You have like a sent email noise, and you have a new email noise, which are and both the typing really good. as well as she's narrating. Yes. Yeah. Yes, definitely. You also have, so he's redacted some parts of the emails and you have like a sensor beep, you know, like yeah. if someone swears kind of thing. Oh, and also just going back to those notification sounds, there's one part later on where they very cleverly play about with the timing. So often you get sent noise and then pretty much immediately you get email arrived noise. And then when the tension's ramping up, there's a bit later where you get sent noise. Yeah. Email arrive noise. And yeah. it's like, oh, it, that was, oh my, the, ooh, I was shaking at that point. <laughs> yeah, I think it does go to say that um, Penguin have absolutely been banging out some absolutely great audiobook adaptations. Mm-hmm. And you're thinking of this, thinking of the the work they did with 2000 AD. They're yeah. really, you know, people in the industry talk about how um, there's a lot of innovation going on with the production of audiobooks. I think there's a lot of interesting directorial yes. choices that they've they've mm-hmm. made here definitely and a similar way but actually on the writing rather than the audio is i thought it was really interesting the way he's pieced it together with so someone will maybe make an accusation or bring up a new fact or piece of information and then the person that it concerns we don't hear from them again for ages They don't get to defend themselves for ages, a lot of the time, not always. And I found that really helped with the tension as well, because you want to hear them defend themselves. You want to hear what's going on, but instead you're hearing loads of other people coming up with what they think about it. And I thought that was really clever as well for tension and timing of, yeah, keeping you waiting on what isn't really truth, but you feel like you want to know their side of the story. Yeah, I think... I mean, it's actually quite remarkable. This is only his, I think, fourth book because it just mm. it shows an assuredness and skill. Yes. You know, to put that together is so difficult. So, he, you know, congratulations to him. There are only two other things that I really want to talk about. So the first one is basically about Manchester and yeah. Yeah, kind of going, using that old cliche, the city as a character, but especially the tower block. Mm-hmm. They live in this kind of dilapidated, brutalist uh, tower of student housing and how that really in my head became this character and I was just wondering mm. oh, it says true crime story but you know the weird things that happen within that building are there kind of a supernatural element to it as well and kind of the way that yes. the city and the culture of character of Manchester is kind of portrayed through um, because there's not a lot of descriptions of the city of Manchester just by the way the different people behave within it Mm. and how you kind of get a sense of what the city is like through the way that the the people behave as well yeah i mean so just quickly on manchester wise i quite liked being taken back to the trafford center um, yeah where um so because i live in newcastle now but i grew up in preston um and we went to the trafford center a decent amount and yeah it was kind of a nice nostalgic thing for me personally going back to there but yeah definitely about the tower And I'll be honest, it made me glad that I'm listening to this now and not the summer before I go to uni. (laughs) (laughs) If I was moving into student halls straight after this, I would be shitting myself. Like, (laughs) I was very glad that I have done that. I've lived in student halls before now being told this terrifying story set in student halls. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. That was what I thought. And I mean, I even... And this is a thing of just how good and gripping it is. But like I was listening to it and then I was just going to go outside and was walking through the streets and I didn't want to listen to it in the dark, walking through (laughs) the streets. These are very safe streets (laughs) and I know no one's going to get me, but it's so spooky that, yeah, in a really effective, like I'm properly bigging it up kind of way that, yeah, that meant. (laughs) <laughs> I didn't want to listen to it in the dark outside. Yeah, yeah I think I think that's absolutely fair comment. Um, mm-hmm. 
yeah, th- th- there were certain bits that I might have um, usually when I, I'm listening to audio books, d- depending on the book, mm-hmm. I usually listen to it at two times speed. This one, most of it I listened to at the speed that it was intent- intended to be played at. <laughs> that there were uh, a few little bits there where I think I just needed to fast forward it. Oh, really? <laughs> just, like to, just to get through, yeah, just just to get mm. the to the other side, especially when it kind of things ramp up towards the end. I had to force mm. myself that not actually slow down. This is not a McDonald's meal. Um, <laughs> enjoy, 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 kind of like the you know that feeling inside your your belly that this audio book is kind of creating and kind yeah. of yeah. So that's the other thing as well, and it has one of the most genuinely creepy horrible visuals I, I could possibly imagine involving <laughs> yeah, a about it. <laughs> yeah, involving a mannequin and I won't say any more than that but when I listened to that bit I was just like oh oh my god that's 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 ugh, ugh, horrible yeah yeah for so. the listeners I am um, with n- out of the blue no mention I got shock face emoji vomiting emoji the mannequin bit in true crime story <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the message I got from <laughs> Yeah. It's just very funny. Yeah, um, but yes, I agree. Uh, very spooky moment. And yeah, he's done really good writing to do all that. I think maybe slight criticism, but I'm sort of, I talk myself in and out of it. So I kind of felt sometimes that some parts of it were almost a bit too well written to be someone's casual spoken recorded conversation. Yes. It's kind of the Joss Whedon effect a little bit kind of these really well articulated uh teenage people but yeah yeah I do get that as well yeah yeah I felt like they were really well written it was really poetic it was really clever you know loads of metaphors in there if it was written like you say with an omniscient narrator I'd be perfect you know great good on you but I almost felt like people were being a bit too philosophical and that kind of took me out a little bit and like explaining their own images and metaphors a bit too much where kind of I prefer explanations myself but then like with the philosophical thing I think they talk about it they talk about the fact that they've been living in this situation for like seven years I think it is mulling over everything in their minds trying to figure it out for themselves so in that case I sort of flip back on it and go you know what actually they probably have come up with all these metaphors themselves because they're trying to explain it to themselves they're trying to make sense of it so in that case it sort of did you know it did flip back to yeah, this does seem right. This does seem real kind of thing. Um, I think what it comes down to is that, like, it seems like they're all psychoanalyzing each other. And I think it's just that because of is either listeners or readers, we're used to doing that of characters ourselves. You know, we're used to making those judgments. And so it feels a bit strange to hear other people doing that for us. That's not necessarily bad or a good thing. But yeah, for me, I just had to jostle with that, I think, myself. But then equally, on that same vein, it was interesting then when you have Joseph's emails where he is doing our job of, as a reader slash listener, analysing the characters and thinking who is the baddie, who is the goodie. And so it was interesting then. It's like you're in your own little book club with him talking about who you're suspecting at this point and what's going on in it and where she should be leading her investigation next and stuff like that was really interesting yes i mean it's kind of interesting what you mentioned about the characters cycle analyzing each other and i think that didn't strike me as odd because a lot of the psychoanalysis was criticisms of other characters and i felt that was quite natural i know when i'm kind of bad mouthing someone i'll i will kind of like go yeah. into well you know he, he's doing this and i don't really understand why he's doing this but i think it might be because of this thing and I think that kind of backbiting came across more naturally to me. But yeah, I, I do I do take your point. And yeah, it's something for me to think about there as well. Yeah. You make a very good point there. I think because so one of the examples that stick in my head is kind of like, I mean, it was probably Lee Wai again. Saying that, oh, Kim was acting like this because she's jealous of Zoe. And we've talked about how their relationship is such a big theme in the book. And I guess part of me felt like it was like, yeah, I know that. It should be a bit more subtle than that. We all know how themes in books work and character motivations and stuff like that. Yeah. Like, stop making it so obvious to me. It was just how I felt at some moments. Yeah. But then equally, yeah, I think, like you say, it does fit with what the characters would be saying. And that kind of works. Yeah. Um, one thing, again, that I had to kind of backtrack on was that I made a note when I was listening that I felt like a mention of, I think it was like, 
Andrew says that Zoe would have changed her relationship status to it's complicated. Uh, he doesn't say it like that. That was the yeah. you putting that emphasis on. Um, but I, I found that really cringy. And I was like, oh, it's like someone's writing it as what would kids say kind of thing is how it came across. But yeah. I actually kind of have to backtrack on that. I still think that bit's cringe. But the way that he uses Facebook and the internet later on is really effective this idea that it's a place for cyberbullying and for invading privacy and what you have as public information and what is private information and how technology can be used abusively and stuff was actually really really fascinating and a really modern a way to really well modernize crime stories and bring them into what are genuine fears that people have at the moment about how kind of social medias and stuff can be used in that way. Yeah. Is there there anything else you want to pick up on in the book? I think it's another one of those ones where we could go on for ages. Yes. Probably shouldn't. And then maybe I can talk about most of my stuff that I have left in a sort of summing up sort of way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I, as a bit of a personal note, I love crime stuff. I, as we talked about, I don't really go for true crime stuff, yeah. but like detective things and cop shows and crime shows, I love. And I'm saying shows because it's interesting. When people ask like favorite genres, I always list crime quite highly up there. But the fact of it is I haven't read or listened to all that many crime books. Some, definitely, definitely some. But my love of crime comes mostly from TV shows and things. When I was younger, we watched so many. At any one time, we would usually have about three different crime shows on the go at once. And it really are my bread and butter of stories. I'm always a, a big believer that, you know, reading and books and stuff like that, it's not so different from film and TV and all sorts of different mediums. It's stories. It's all about stories. And yeah, TV crime is definitely my background of that and something that I absolutely love. Um, and I think this did feel a lot like a lot of my favorite um, shows. It reminded me quite a bit of the DCI Banks shows, which I really love. And I've also read some of the books of those as well. And yeah, I would recommend this if you like crime, like me, whether that's reading it, listening to it or watching it. I think if you like that genre, I recommend it as a really good example of that genre. But it is a genre that can be very formulaic and that's not necessarily a bad thing often we like reading or watching or listening to the same kind of thing but with a different criminal a different victim a slightly different situation and that formulaicness is often really good it's something I really like about the genre but this isn't one of those this isn't just another one that could be like any other one but it's just one of the top tier ones it isn't that it is something different because of like Fahed said this experimentation with the format with how well Penguin has done this audio version and with this obsession with truth as a theme and the way it messes about with stuff like that it's super messy it's super grippy it's quite dark um I think I would we say it's very dark it is it's very dark, dark. Yeah. yes I'll give you that it's we haven't watched as many crime shows Recently, I think it's more kind of just how we are as a family at the moment that we don't need quite those dark things in our lives right now. But I loved it in this book. But yes, but if you are like I was a a few years ago, really deep in in your detective shows and stuff, then you will love this. But equally, you want something experimental and exciting. You will really love it. So yes, I think do be careful if you're not ready to face very dark themes and issues. But if you are and you like crime, it's amazing. It's super gripping, twists, cliffhangers. It's super messy. It's super interesting. Really well done. Yeah. <laughs> what yeah. about you? What's your recommendation? Yeah, I kind of echoing what you say there. I can't recommend this enough. I think it's, I might be edging towards saying this might be my audio book of the year. I, wow, I, yeah. I like it. I really like it that much. I think what Joseph has done in terms of the storytelling is mm. really really good you know like you i'm quite a big fan of crime shows police procedurals that sort of thing yeah. what really hooked me with this is it just felt like a really good true crime podcast even though it is just a crime story it's not you know mm-hmm. it's not based on anything that's actually happened and you know that idea of playing around with a format that's kind of quite well trodden in terms yeah. of you know the true crime podcast and mixing that with 
a fictional story. I think he just gels it perfectly. And I think it's a well-executed story with compelling characters, great twists and fantastic performances. And kind of what else, what else do you want? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Cool. So I think that's two thumbs up from both of us. I think the carpet people, I think is up next. Yeah, I think we're going to do that one next. We have another book that Penguin are giving us some proofs for, but we're waiting on those. So I think we're going Carpet People next. Yeah, uh, when we're not turning into a Penguin audiobook review podcast, it's just <laughs> this is just kind of how it's uh, how it's turned out. Yeah, how, how it's turned out for this season. We might have a couple of author interviews coming up, and mm-hmm. just keep your ears and eyes open on social media for that and guys uh, thank you for um for listening and yeah please follow us on uh social media yeah thank you so much let us know what you thought of true crime story we'd love yeah, to please, talk more about it yeah please get in touch either oh i don't think i've mentioned the podcast email so if you do want to get in touch with us and you're not on um social mm-hmm. media the email of the podcast is as i quickly look it up on my <laughs> laptop is audiobookishpod at gmail so if you're not on instagram or twitter linkedin or facebook you can email us there yep awesome okay guys thank you thank you so much bye bye